Dallas Willard, an American philosopher and tremendous author, prolific author of great Christian text, said, and I quote, We live in a culture that has, for centuries now, cultivated the idea that the skeptical person is always smarter than the one who believes. You can almost be as stupid as a cabbage as long as you doubt. Does God speak to you? If he did, how would you know it was him? If he did, what would you do after he said it? What you listen to will determine the course of your life. That's good enough to put up on the screen, I think. What you listen to will determine the course of your life. I mean, Jesus said it. He said, be careful what you listen to. You see, the outcomes of life are determined by the seed that we plant in the soil of our heart and then passionately pursue and tend to that seed through our communion with that life source. If you plant seeds of fear in your heart, I'm never going to have enough, I'll never be good enough, we never make it to the end of the month with our bills getting paid. I just, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. I was laid off recently. You know they don't hire people of my... See, if you sow that into the seed of your heart and you continue, continually water that, then that's the communion you are having and that's what will grow. Conversely, though, if you are continually careful with what you are hearing and you are sowing words of faith and love and victory and that you are more than enough and that in Christ you are an overcomer and that he supplies all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You see, if you're constantly sowing that kind of seed in your heart through what you hear, and of course you are your own best preacher, I have 40 minutes with you once a week. How many of you ate more than once this past week? Yeah. <laughs> and it probably took you about a half hour to 40 minutes, okay? Now imagine doing that once and going the rest of the week. Most of you wouldn't be here. I know I'd be crawling on the floor somewhere. I'd just, I'd, I'd be miserable. But our spiritual life, we, th we think coming to church and hearing a sermon once a week, maybe 40 minutes at best, is enough. And Jesus said, be careful what you hear. Now in that is that word careful, which carries the idea of discern. And that's the title of our message today. Hearing God's voice, discern. We must discern what we should be listening. We must be careful to hear the right things because it's like seed. The word discern means to perceive or to distinguish or to recognize. I want to bring 
an increased concentration this morning on God's voice to all of us. I, I want to try to help us embrace an increased awareness, an increased recognition and perception of when God is speaking to us. And when he does, how can I be sure it's him? And then what do I do with it? So we might call it a heightened awareness, an increased concentration on God's voice, while at the same time we starve our doubts. Do you know how you starve your doubts? Replace your thoughts with God's word. So I'm going to speak words of faith and hope and purpose. Those are like seed that go into my heart. And then I'm going to starve my doubts by replacing my thoughts with God's thoughts so that I think think like he thinks. And then that fruit of what I'm listening to is going to come up in my life. We're going to learn how to be more aware this morning. Why is this so important? Discerning God's voice. Why is that so important? Because it reveals your identity and the nature and character of God. When you hear clearly, when you hear accurately, when you hear well, it indeed reveals who God is. And it shows us our identity. All doubt, all fear, all insecurity come from thinking about God wrongly. I want to say that again. All fear, all doubt, all insecurity come from thinking about God wrongly. Oh, how we need to hear God's voice today. And we need to discern what is his voice and then what we are going to do with it afterwards. Our text is found in Acts. You might want to join me there. Acts chapter 11. This is a fascinating passage. It's actually... Peter sharing with a group of leadership about an event that took place at the house of Cornelius, very supernatural. That happens in chapter 10. So by chapter 11, Peter now is meeting with all the leadership, the elders and the pastors and the apostles, and he's recounting this supernatural event that took place at the house of Cornelius. Cornelius, by the way, was a Roman guard He was a centurion. He was placed over many. He wasn't Jewish. He wasn't a person of faith. And yet, the scripture says that he was faithful. He prayed daily and he did what was right. And so God heard his prayer and said, I'm going to send you a man who's going to tell you and share with you the gospel so that you and your whole household can be saved. And so through a series of supernatural events, Peter winds up at the house of Cornelius. Now that's finished. They have a great revival. Peter goes back to Jerusalem and he's sharing this and he's before leaders. Let's look at it. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles 
had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and you ate with them. Do you have anybody in your life that's always trying to keep you stuck in religion? Notice the word circumcised. When he got up to Jerusalem, he was meeting with this group of believers and the apostles, but there were certain of the believers that adhered to the law. They believed you had to follow the law to accept Christ. They believed you had to follow and obey commandments. In other words, they believed in do-it-yourself religion. You couldn't be pleasing to God unless you still obeyed all of the laws and all of the formulas. Do-it-yourself religion. And so these circumcised believers were very critical of what had happened with Peter in this supernatural event. And what were they critical of? Look at it. You went into the house of uncircumcised men and you ate with them. How dastardly. <laughs> now you would think going into the house of maybe an unbeliever who's not a Christ follower yet might bring cause for celebration. But in this case, these believers were so steeped in their religion, so steeped in their law code, even though they were Christ followers, that they couldn't celebrate. They wanted to accuse and they wanted to criticize. You. Do you have anybody in your life like that? No matter what you do, you can't please them. And you know it goes against the teaching of Christ to be judgmental like that. This is what Peter was experiencing. Judgment from believers. These were Christ followers. So let me say, all of us probably have some Christians in our life who have not been set free yet from that judgmental attitude of trying to serve Christ and follow Christ through obedience to the law. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it, and I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles and birds and then I heard a voice telling me get up Peter kill and eat now you have to understand the context of this aspect of this Peter is seeing a vision and he's heard a voice in this vision there's a I liken it to a bed sheet or maybe a paint tarp or something. It was very large because it had all kinds of animals in it. And every one of the animals listed here are anathema to a person who follows Jewish law and the dietary code. You can't eat four-footed animals. You can't eat wild beasts, snakes, and birds of the air. They had to be ra birds that were raised, caught and raised and processed in a certain way. You never ate wild birds. 
This was all part of the dietary and law code for the Jewish people. And of course, these people, these particular, this particular group of Christians being circumcised, they were trying to hold Peter to that law code. That's why they were so upset with him. And this is where Peter had just come from, celebrating all that God had done, filled with the Holy Spirit. It's, it's a great chapter, chapter 10. And now he's having to report and overcome the criticism of individuals who are still living by the law. So he begins to recount the story and says, this is what I saw. And this voice told me, get up, Peter, kill some of the animals you're looking at and eat them. <laughs> oh, it was like the most disgusting thing that you could tell a Jewish rabbi or a Jewish convert or a person steeped in Jewish tradition, a true Jew. I replied, surely not, Lord. Kind of like, oh, Lord, get behind, these, me, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> you know, kind of thing. This can't be the voice of God. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. <laughs> just, the voice spoke from heaven a second time and said, Peter, you do not call anything impure that I have made clean. Going back to the book of Acts, verse 28, this is the actual account and conversation. Peter told them when he got to Cornelius' house and he was finally with these Gentile people, here's what he told them during his sermon. Hey guys, you know it is against our laws for a Jewish man to even enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. Could we read that last part aloud? Ready, read. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. This was the breaking out of the gospel to the Gentile people. Imagine that. Prior to this, the gospel was only being preached to Jewish people. These Jewish converts to Christ didn't believe it was allowable to share the gospel of Jesus with Gentiles. You can't even go to their home. You certainly don't eat their food. And yet Peter, in an extra scriptural, follow me now, because it's all going to come full circle here. In an extra biblical, what he knew to be the holy scriptures at that time. Keep in mind, they did not have a Bible at that time. There was no New Testament. What Peter knew and what Peter taught and what Peter lived by was the Old Covenant, the Law, the Pentateuch, the books of Moses, the Prophets, and the law, the Psalms and the Proverbs. Now, this voice, first he has this, this, he falls into a trance, he sees this vision of these animals in this sheet, and then he hears a voice, Peter, rise up, kill these animals, 
and eat them. Oh, how disgusting. Peter, don't ever again call anything or anyone unclean that I have made clean. And out of that vision, out of that voice of revelation, out of discerning the voice of the Holy Spirit in that moment, you are sitting here this morning. You have faith in Christ. This Bible and all of the New Testament was written and penned and the gospel preached now around the world so that you sit here today as a result of Peter's vision and his willingness to discern something new, totally different, completely against all of the old covenant law, completely against everything he had grown up with. And now God was saying, I have a new covenant. I have a new word. And what I make clean, don't you call unclean anyone. Oh my goodness. So he's, he's being called to account for this now. Does God speak to you? If he did, how would you know? Let me give you five principles of discerning the Holy Spirit's voice. Number one, does it agree with the truth and the testimony of Scripture? Does it agree with the truth and the testimony of Scripture? Now, for Peter, since there was no new covenant, there was no New Testament, this looked like this first point looked like this. Does it agree with Jesus and the testimony of what you know from your own scriptures? Jesus supersedes the testimony of scripture when that scripture is first covenant. My old covenant all the things in the Old Testament were written for our instruction and they're good and they're wonderful and they came from God, but they have been exceeded by Jesus Christ. And so there are things in the Old Covenant that simply don't even apply to us anymore. Let me make this point in another way. Do you remember when Jesus was teaching the Beatitudes on the mountain? And he'd make comments like this. You have heard that it's been said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, you shall not even look at a woman to lust. Remember that? How about this one? You have heard that it has been said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit murder. But I say to you, if you are even angry enough to call your brother, you fool, you have already. Now, I want you to unpack that for just a minute. When he said, you have heard, what was he referring to? What had they heard? What did every Jewish person know about murder and adultery? And where did they know it from? The old covenant. All right, so he said, you have heard, but 
I say to you. So in a breath, without any other authority or validation, Jesus puts himself above the scripture of the old covenant. I'm going to let that just sink. Some of you need to write. Uh, You have heard, where'd they hear that? The Bible, at that time, their Bible, the old covenant. But I say to you, without any apology, with complete confidence and authority, without verification from any other source, he clearly says, but I say to you, and he gives us a higher law, a higher authority than all everything the Jewish people and the Jewish religion was built on. Moses, the law, the prophets, Jesus was saying, I now supersede them all. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. When the Holy Spirit speaks to us, he will never say something to you that flat out disagrees with the truth and the testimony of Scripture. It may not agree with every line upon line part of the Bible because some things, even according to Jesus' own words, don't apply anymore, but they're good, they're holy, they're right. And even the Holy Spirit would never say something to you that disagreed with the testimony, the truth, the value, the morality of that scripture. John 16, 13, Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. John 17, 17, your word is truth. Now, it's important, I wanna just make a note here regarding number one here, that we need to be careful today of our own circumcision sect. I wanna re-say that. And I need everybody to really listen to me on this because it's so important. We today need to be careful and discerning of people who like these brothers who were of the circumcision are also of the circumcision in spirit today. Trying to make you go back to having to obey law code to please God. You know they're out there. Here's another thing that they say. There is no present-day revelation, there's no more signs or wonders, and there's no more gift manifestations. And they say that because they teach that that which is perfect has come. Paul refers to that in 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14, that when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part, meaning the gift manifestations and signs and wonders will be done away with. But that has nothing whatsoever to do with that. That is an erroneous application of that. Now, it is not the scope of this message this morning for me to go into the details of that principle and exegete those passages for you. But let me draw upon the authority once again of of Dallas Willard. And I quote, There is nothing in scripture to indicate that the biblical modes of God's communication with humans has been superseded or abolished by either the presence of the church or the close of the scriptural canon. 
you understand. The 66 books that were decided upon and placed in here are called the canon of Scripture. There are those who teach that because we have this, we have no more need for miracles or signs or wonders or even present-day revelation of the Holy Spirit speaking to us. This is all we need to speak to us. Wrong. Wholly wrong. The Holy Spirit has never stopped speaking, leading, doing signs and wonders in our midst. Number two, God's voice is persuasive, definite, and compelling. Why do I say that? Well, if we went back a couple. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. (laughs) Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Do Do you feel the force behind that, the persuasiveness of that, the definiteness of that, how it compelled Peter in what he was hearing? When God speaks to you, it may not be loud, but it will be compelling. It will be persuasive. Number three. When God speaks to us, it brings peace. If you don't have peace and you believe the Holy Spirit's speaking to you about something, then you need to wait and continue to check it out and continue to weigh it and share it with friends and leadership. Because John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Don't let your heart be troubled. The Holy Spirit would never speak something to you that troubles your heart for any real period of time. Now, to be sure, in our example, Peter was troubled. But he recognized the persuasiveness, the authority. He he recognized the compellingness and the definiteness of the voice of God. And he stepped out in faith. And as he did, the Holy Spirit's word to him brought him to the house of Cornelius where he preached the gospel. And everybody in Cornelius' house, a Roman centurion who was not even of faith, got saved, and then Peter prayed for him to all be filled with the Holy Ghost. They all got baptized in the Holy Ghost and began to speak in tongues. A bunch of Romans. So something the Holy Spirit says to you might make you initially uncomfortable, but as you step out in faith, it will prove itself out, and God will be glorified. How many of you are listening? All right. Number four. When God speaks to us, it will stand up under the scrutiny of leadership and counsel. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 29. Let two or three people prophesy and let the others evaluate what is said. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21. Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. See, even in, if we were to keep reading in our text, chapter 11, where Peter now is with this group and he's, he's defending 
the voice he's heard, and he's, he's recounting everything. When you get to verse 18, here's what it says after they listened to everything carefully. Here was their judgment. They had no further objections, and they all praised God together. That will be the result. When you have something really weighty that you feel like the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, don't be afraid to share it with leadership. Don't be afraid to take it to counsel. Even if an initial response might be, well, let me hear more about this. How did you come by this? Give me more of what the Holy Spirit's been saying. As you share it, if it's God, eventually there will be no more reservations about it. There will be no more objections and everybody will be able to praise the Lord. That's a good safety valve for you. And number five... If it's the Holy Spirit speaking, does it agree with the way that you are wired? What do I mean by that? (laughs) See, the Bible says earnestly desire, earnestly covet spiritual manifestations. I, I am to earnestly desire these gifts, these manifestations, this voice. He also says that God will give me the desires of my heart, not meaning that God just grants them, but that God puts them there in the first place. I like that. God puts his desire. Remember what we learned last week. If I abide in him and his words abide in me, I will ask what I will and it shall be done for me by my Father who is in heaven. See? God knows that as we abide in his word and as we become more aware of who we are in him, our requests and our leadings are going to be less and less a questionable thing of, well, was that just me or was that the Holy Spirit? And it's going to become, as a friend of ours recently said this past week that Nina was meeting with, I know everything the Lord says to me, everything I sense in my spirit that he's leading me to do. I know it's from God. I just know it. I've followed him long enough now, and I know that I'm in Christ, and Christ is in me, that I've learned his voice, and and I just live, and I just walk out of that. The things I buy, the people I spend time with, the commitments I make, I, I just live out of that knowing that I know that I know that I know that I know. And that's where God wants us to live, that we just know, and we live in that. Isn't that precious? Let me give you a very practical example. And you might laugh thinking, well, how absurd, how how fringe, how out there. But actually, we as pastors through the years have dealt with this more than once. God told me that you are to be my wife. (laughs) We've had people walk up to, God told me you are to be my wife. Now, inside, she's trying to be gracious, but inside, she's completely aghast. She has no affection for this individual. No, she's not attracted to this individual. She's not been thinking about this individual. God hasn't said anything to her, but the Holy Spirit showed me, you are going to be my wife. Now, there's problems with that. Because, see, if she's not wired 
to like me, if she's not wired to be attracted to me, if she's not wired to want to spend time with me, if she's not wired, maybe she didn't like the way I cut my hair, maybe she didn't like the way I dress, there could be a dozen things, but I'm going to tell you something. The Holy Spirit is not going to tell you that somebody's to be your spouse when they are not wired to be with you in any way. They're just being gracious by not telling you what they really think of you. <laughs> What's the bottom line here today, guys? Communion, not performance and obedience, is the root for hearing God's voice. Everything he says to me will reflect his character and his loving nature. Hearing God is not like a light switch, on, off, on, off, on, off. Rather, it's an ongoing conversation in which I speak and am spoken to. It's like the sun whose warm, constant glow of warmth and light is altered only by my choice of proximity. Dear ones, know this, that clarity is always obscured by unbelief. Wrong thinking about God will adulterate everything you are hearing from the Holy Spirit. And so it's so important that we spend time in the Word, that we find a good local church, that we get around others who have a track record of listening to the Holy Spirit and experiencing great results. All of these things are important. And then that we test it, that we test our leanings, we test our leadings in the presence of dear friends, good leadership, strong church, and don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to fail, but I promise you, your hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit with these guidelines here will get to a place where just like you pick up the phone and it's your spouse or a dear loved one or a great friend, you don't say, who's this? When's the last time somebody you know well or your spouse called and you said, who's this? Maybe only if there was static on the line, poor connection, whatever, and you know what that is. I just told you. Clarity is always obscured by unbelief. Dear ones, get in a church where faith is being preached. You watching by live stream, you might be watching by live stream because you're either a church hopper or you've been hurt by a church and you've not been back or you don't believe the church is relevant anymore. All of those are unacceptable to the spirit and the testimony of Jesus. I want to encourage you, get back into community. It will change your life when you begin to listen and follow the voice of the Holy Spirit. We can help you with that. You can respond to this message today and let us know that you need help, even in choosing a church where you live and where you are. We can help you with that. I'm going to close. Communion with God validates all communication with God. The integrity of what we hear is dependent upon the passion of spending time in his presence. You know, I realized as I was at one of my spots this week, just spending time with the Lord, praying and seeking and in his word, a place where I could be quiet, a place where I could pray. 
I began to pray and I, it just came up out of my inner being. It just came up and I, I, I said, Lord, I don't want to hear your voice for knowledge. I want to hear your voice for communion. You see, communion focuses on relationship and intimacy. <laughs> knowledge focuses on study. Now, if you want to become a theologian, go for it. But you will dry up and die and miss God's will if you don't mix that with communion. So what are we going to do? Does God talk to you? If he did, how would you know it was his voice? And if he did, what would you do with it afterwards? Here's three things I want you to do with what you're hearing. Communion, three things. Mindful contemplation. So, the reason I said mindful is some people teach contemplative silences, empty your mind, just, you know, and just kind of... <laughs> now, there's a principle there. There's some good there. Empty your mind of doubt. Empty your mind of fear. Empty your mind of all the day's stuff, sure. But you need to fill your mind with the thoughts of God's Word. Mindful, contemplative silence is a beautiful way to begin listening when you just get alone, you get by yourself, you get where there's not distractions, and you are mindful, full of God's mind, and just let the whole... Number two, speaking. What are you speaking? What are you saying with your words throughout the day? Do you hear a message of faith and hope and love like this and then go home and trash it through the week by speaking all the wrong, negative, opposite things about God's character, God's love, God's nature for you and who you are in Christ? Number three, and we don't have time to really teach on this or go there today, but I'm going to bring it up and tell you that it's on my heart to do an entire series on the gifts of the Spirit soon, all right? All nine gifts in detail, and we'll probably take an extra week on this one because of its importance to you, all of you. Paul said this one gift, he said, I do this more than all of you. It's very exciting. What am I speaking about? What am I talking about? Speaking or praying in other tongues, in other languages. Here's what Paul said. He said, what is it then? I will pray with my understanding and I will pray with my heavenly language. I'll pray in the Holy Spirit, in tongues. He says, I'll sing with my understanding and I will sing in other languages. I'll sing in tongues in the Holy Spirit. He said, as you do this, it brings you into that place where you're disengaged from the troubles that run through your mind. And God's voice is speaking directly into your spirit, man. It's bypassing your mind. He says, I'll do both. I'll pray and I'll sing with my mind, but I'll also pray and I'll sing with the Holy Spirit because there's something there. And I, I don't have time. I, I've got to stop. 
But in our series, when we get to this gift, here, here's the secret. Here's, here's the beautiful thing about it. When you pray in the Holy Spirit, Paul said you are speaking mysteries. Let me have your attention. When you pray in the Holy Spirit, you are speaking mysteries to God. When you use your tongues, when you speak in tongues in your prayer time, or you sing in tongues when you're worshiping, you are speaking or singing, the word is mystery. Now, the Greek word for mystery is secret. The English word for the Greek word mystery is secret. Now, to you, secret is knowledge withheld. But the Greek definition of the word secret is knowledge revealed. Hey, we're going to go there in a whole series on the gifts of the Spirit. I hope you'll come back for it. Let's stand.